Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. If you're new to using Apple's iOS devices, it can be quite a daunting task to learn all the various gestures and how things work. And even if you've been using these systems for a long time, every release each year brings a host of new features. And that's particularly true for this year's iOS 13 release. We'll speak with Shelley Brisbane, author of a series of books that come out every time there's a major release of iOS about her current book, iOS Access for All. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip is about maintaining your preferred high contrast color scheme on your iOS device and comes from Shelley Brisbane. As somebody with low vision, I've been enjoying dark mode a lot. I find that it is not a substitute for invert color. So for the, for the purposes of this tip, let's assume that you're somebody who finds it easier to see the screen if the background is dark and the text and other things on top of the screen are light. So let's say you want to do that and you're a dark mode user. Well, not everything in iOS supports dark mode. And one of the main culprits there are websites in Safari. So the Safari application supports dark mode, but a website might not support it. So you'll be moseying along in dark mode and mail and messages and just happily doing your thing. And then you open up a website in Safari and oh my goodness, the background is light and the text is dark and that's really hard to read. Well, what I do is I live in dark mode. In other words, it's on all the time on my device, but I also still have smart invert colors enabled in my accessibility shortcut. So I can uh, triple click my side button on my iPhone 10R and enable smart invert colors while I'm in Safari, which will turn that screen into a darker version that I can read. And then I'll get back out of it and uh, go on about my business in dark mode when I'm using an app that supports it. Well, that should be helpful to many people. Thanks. Maybe not everyone. Apologies to voiceover users, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay. Yeah, but you've got lots of information for all sorts of people with all sorts of needs in your book. So we'll forgive you for the tip being specific to low vision. <laughs> you are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Shelley and learning about how she got started writing books about the accessibility of iOS. Hi, I'm Shelley Brisbane. I'm a writer, podcaster, editor, radio producer, and the author of iOS Access for All. And we've had you on the show once before talking about some of your work. Can you tell us how long you've been putting together these iOS Access books? So the my seventh edition came out in November of 2019. So the first one was released in May of 2014. That adds up to about five years and seven books. Wow. So this book covers using iOS with a variety of disabilities. Most of our listeners have a visual impairment. Do you? I do. I have low vision and people with uh, typical vision would probably say I have pretty bad eyesight. And I, I, from my point of view, I've got workable vision, but I am both a user of voiceover and screen reader technology, but, but more so a user of, of low vision tech. And so the book covers a lot of 
the features that iOS has for both of those communities. And how did you get into writing this series of books? I've been a writer for a very long time about technology in the mainstream world. And so I've been doing that for years, both as a magazine writer and as the author of books focusing on mainstream tools like uh, the Macintosh and web development and wireless networking. And as a low vision person, I'd never really written about accessibility or disability. And part of the reason was that the ways and means of getting accessibility were not as concrete and easy to access as they are today. And when iOS became a thing in 2009, that started to change for mobile users. But I realized as time went on that there weren't a lot of resources out there that number one, were complete and comprehensive, and number two, that had been kept up to date. So somebody might write a list of voiceover commands or name a couple of low vision features, but rarely did they go from operating system to operating system and go, hey, well, this is how it's been updated. And so I felt like I wanted to cover that waterfront and do a more comprehensive project than others had done. And frankly, the ways and means of publishing books had changed so much that there weren't a lot of people doing mainstream tech books. And so I was looking around for another topic and this just felt like the right one for me at that time. Well, I am sure there are an awful lot of people who are very glad you've switched topics. I hope so. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people over the years. And as I say, the thing that I think sets what I have done apart is the attempt to be comprehensive and up-to-date and to address all different kinds of disabilities. There are a few resources for voiceover users specifically, but there's so much more in iOS that isn't addressed just by a conversation about voiceover, and so I wanted to tackle that. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the recently updated version of Shelley Brisbane's easy-to-follow reference book that details what you need to know to work effectively with your iOS devices. So before we get into some of the details of the book, maybe you can give us kind of the high-level picture of what the book is all about and who it is aimed at. What type of user? So I try to say that it's for every user, and and that's kind of a big leap, I guess, because if you're a beginner, I'm going to give you guidelines about how to get your iOS device set up for the first time, how to start with voiceover gestures and the other things that a person who hasn't used an iPhone might need. But I also include enough detail in there that hopefully somebody who's an intermediate or an advanced user will find tips and tricks that they may not have discovered. I operate under the premise that most people don't study the device they pick up, especially with mobile devices. People learn what they can as they can and don't necessarily take a studied approach to it, even as as much as they would with computers. And so I feel like there's always something in there for any user level. And I, I may hit the beginners a little harder than I hit the advanced users, but I try to get everybody. Also, as I say, the comprehensiveness of the book is important because I organize it in chapters that cover different kinds of disabilities. So if you're a voiceover user, you can go directly to the chapter that covers voiceover. If you have low vision, you can spend time in the chapter that talks about Zoom and high contrast and large text. If you're a person with a hearing impairment, you can go to that chapter. And so 
I also make it possible and easy and recommend to people that they don't feel compelled to read it cover to cover, that they just go toward the information that they need. So what about people who have multiple disabilities, motor impairments and a vision loss or something? Do you give references back and forth from one section to the other? I do. More so, uh, I go from, uh, say, a chapter about a disability to a part of the book that covers iOS features more generally. And there are other instances in which I do explain that there are ways to use this the devices with if you have multiple disabilities, for example, there's a new feature in iOS 13 called voice control that is really intended for people with physical disabilities. But I talk about how a voiceover user might get some benefit from it. What's really nice about a book like this is that it contains all of the information in one place. So, you know, if one isn't so technically savvy about Googling around the Internet or one doesn't know where to find this information, you can just go here and find most of it. And it could be quite a hurdle for, you know, especially novices to know where to jump in and where to start. So this is a great resource and reference for all of those things. That's the other nice thing about it being an online book, an ebook, is that it's easy to search. So you can essentially Google within the book. And uh, if you know that you're interested in something to do with accessibility or if you're just interested in something to do with iOS and you have a disability, it's pretty easy to search through the book and find all the references to the terminology you're interested in. So you're like, what's screen time? What's shortcuts? What are those things? Not only do I have sections that are named for those features, but I also have the search function so you can go and find all the times when I reference that kind of information. So tell our listeners about the overview of the book and how it's organized, and then we can get into some of the specifics. Sure. The book has 11 chapters, and it's divided into four parts. The first part is introductory material, a couple of chapters that get you acquainted with the Apple ecosystem and Apple and iOS approach to accessibility, what features are new in iOS, all of the services that you can choose to get involved with that Apple provides. And then the second chapter is a quick start to help you get up and running because a lot of people when they pick up a mobile device, as I said before, are kind of in a hurry and they're not really thinking in terms of, well, let me sit down and read this book and understand how to use my device. They just want to turn on the feature that matters to them. And then the second part of the book addresses specific accessibility and disability categories. So voiceover for blind users, low vision tools for people who have low vision, uh, tools for hearing impairments, and tools for uh, physical disabilities. And those are four separate chapters. So that's probably where somebody would start who's a, a mi middle-level iOS user and wants to know what features are available for their particular disability. The third part of the book covers what I call system-level iOS features. So anything that is built into iOS but that's not necessarily accessed via an app then I have a chapter in that part about iPad OS 13, which is the iPad-specific version of iOS. And then uh, the, the final chapter in that section is about Siri and shortcuts, so automation and voice control of your iOS device. And, and when I say voice control, I hasten to add, I'm not talking about the name of the feature there. I'm talking about using Siri to control your device with your voice. Then the final part is all about apps. So there's a chapter that describes every single app that Apple includes with iOS and how you should think about it from an accessibility perspective. And then the final chapter is about 100 apps from third parties that are either specifically oriented toward accessibility or just have great accessibility and are and also really great apps. And then last, there I guess there's a fifth part. I don't really call it a part, but there are four appendices that have references like keyboard shortcuts, 
uh, if you're a voiceover user and working with a keyboard, uh, braille shortcuts if you're using a braille display, and then also voiceover gestures. And the final appendix is the very, very excruciatingly detailed description of how to install and set up your iOS device uh, with voiceover. The other thing that I find very nice about your books is that you update them every year with every new update to iOS because things do change quite substantially from year to year sometimes. And in particular this year, I mean, you talked about the special iOS version for iPads. That is pretty different than what one would find on their iPhones. And also you talked about voice control, which is a new feature for iOS 13. So can you highlight some of the new features in this year's book that you had to put in? Well, voice control is a big one. It's a brand new accessibility feature. And as I said before, it's intended for people who have a physical disability and who need to control their iOS device with some means other than with a gesture. So you can speak to the device. Not only can you give it commands and tell it to open things or access the notification center or control center, features like that, but you can also dictate to your device in a fairly interactive way. You've always been able to dictate but now you can dictate a sentence or two and then say, oh, well, I, I've changed my mind about that. Delete this word, add a comma, that sort of thing. And voice control also has the ability for you to interact with your device in terms of a numeric grid. So if you have vision and you have a physical disability, you can say, you know, go to number seven and act upon what you find there. And so it's a really cool and, and surprisingly robust new feature. And as I, as I mentioned, people with, uh, vo who are voiceover users are interested in it because of the dictation feature and the ability to control the device without having to touch it and use voiceover gestures when, when that's possible. So you talked about voice control and how you can do many things with your voice on your iOS device. And my understanding was that you could do things like, say, flick right, flick left, or activate the start button or back button, but I didn't realize you could use dictation and actually do corrections that way. Would this be appropriate for an email or a Word document or something like that? Absolutely. You can certainly use it for an email. You can use it for a pages document. You can use it for any place that you can enter text. And the thing that's amazing to me, I use it on a couple of different iPads. And as I say, I have some vision, so I was able to watch it take my instructions and move that comma and change that word's location from the beginning of the sentence to the end of the sentence. And it's a little more like magic than even just dictating to your iOS device because you're actually interactively editing. I always found it interesting in these iOS devices that although you could use dictation, you couldn't easily correct things with your voice. So this is a nice feature. This could be really handy. Yeah, and I think even if you're not going to be a full-time voice control user, you can enable it on an as-needed basis. And as somebody with low vision, that's the way I interact with my iOS device a lot. There are features that I turn on and off periodically. VoiceOver is actually one of them, but voice control too, you can, whether you use it, whether you turn it on with accessibility shortcut or with a Siri command, the ability to go in and out of an accessibility feature and not feel like you always have to be using that interface is, is really great. I, I, I like that a lot. And I think more people should think in terms of using their devices in that way and not feeling like they always have to have voice control on or always have to have dark mode on or whatever feature it is that they find useful. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I've heard with voiceover users that they've experienced some issues with voice control and having it on all the time may not be ideal. But I guess it's easy enough to just say to your iOS device, enable voice control or turn off voice control and just toggle it on and off that way for the times you want to use it. So, yeah, I, I don't know that voiceover and voice control are always going to work and play well together. And the first thing voiceover users ask me is, well, won't voice control hear what voiceover is saying and get confused? And I think that can happen, especially if you have voiceover on, say, at full volume. But I think, you know, there are ways around it, especially for something like dictation. You have a choice. You can turn voiceover off momentarily or you can, you know, have uh, earphones on or something like that. I mean, there are all sorts of ways to work around it. I don't think even Apple expected that voiceover users would enjoy and use voice control as, as much as they do. So I don't think they optimized it for that. But I do think it's possible. I'd just like to comment. You talked about dictation and what a powerful tool that is. And, you know, Pete uses it all the time. He's totally blind. And I'm fully sighted. And I use it most of the time, too. If I'm trying to create any kind of text, whether it's a message or a mail note or whatever, it just works so smoothly and you can insert all the punctuation and a new paragraph. And, you know, we've been talking all of our friends into using it as well. I think the funny thing about dictation is that some people have problems with Siri on iOS. And in fact, sometimes they, when they mean dictation, they say Siri. And I think it's important to kind of keep them separate and think about them as separate things because you may love or may not love Siri, but that doesn't really have an impact on how well dictation works. I think most of the time dictation works really well. And the thing that I'm used to it now, but when I first started using dictation on iOS, I had to get used to the fact that I could actually say several sentences and have iOS keep up with me just fine. And, and the rate of accuracy was good, especially if you're in an environment where there's not a lot of noise. And one of the things that I include in the Syrian dictation chapter is some caveats about how to make sure that the device is going to be able to hear you well, you know, simple stuff like not being in a noisy environment, speaking clearly, speaking more slowly than I often do. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about some of the other modes that our listeners might be interested in that one can find in these iOS devices. Another big feature, this one's a mainstream feature, but it has a lot of application for low vision, is dark mode. And iOS has had an invert colors feature that turns the screen dark and text on top of it light for a simplified way of explaining it. But dark mode is a more mainstream and more nuanced version of that. So you have shades of darkness and uh, it's easier for people who are not used to working with inverted colors to use and a lot of people like it for reading a lot of people like it for evening uh, use when it's easy on the eyes and what i talk about in the book is how you could integrate dark mode into the way you use invert colors if you are somebody who benefits from that and i'm somebody who does benefit from that so for me talking about dark mode and talking about how well it does or doesn't work uh, as an invert colors user was pretty important that's pretty cool. What other new features have they introduced in iOS 13? Another thing that iOS um, improved and changed a lot was shortcuts. So in iOS 12, Apple introduced this feature called shortcuts, which allows you to automate functions on your iOS device. You can command it with Siri. You can create little routines or programs. And programs is a misleading word because you're not having to write any code. But basically, you can sequence a bunch of actions together, and you can use a shortcut to cause them to happen. You can 
activate it with Siri. You can activate it with a button on the home screen. There's several ways to activate a shortcut. And in iOS 13, uh, shortcuts is a much more robust interface. And again, I make the case that as an access, it's an accessibility feature because it allows you to simplify the number and variety of steps you have to perform to get something done. And so that's great for somebody who has a physical disability as well as for somebody who, who's voiceover user and uh, might not want to do quite as much uh, swiping and, and tapping. Now, this year, they introduced a special version of iOS to work with the iPad and take advantage of the extra real estate and computing power. Can you talk a little bit about how that's different from the regular iOS? The way it's different is that the iPad, because it has the bigger screen and because, frankly, Apple has made the new iPad Pros so powerful, iPadOS really supports using your iOS device, your iPad, as a computer. So there are features in there that make it easier for you to multitask, to have multiple apps and multiple windows open at once. There are, is a feature that allows you to connect your iPad to your Macintosh computer so that you can use the iPad as an extension of the computer. And so those are, those are some of the big ones. And those are some things that aren't possible on an iPhone, for example. They really are specific to iPads. Yes. There are a few features in iPadOS that are not specific to the iPad, like contextual menus and some of the gestures you use for text editing. And I point those out in the iPadOS chapter because they are so appropriate to the way one would use an iPad as a computer. But I also point out that those are usable by iPhone users as well. So, uh, But most of the things I talk about in the iPad chapter are specific to the iPad. Another new feature that was introduced in iOS 13 is the way one can interact with the keyboard. And I was wondering if you had any hints for voiceover or other users as to how to work more efficiently with this new interaction mode. This is called Quick Path. There, there's a couple different names for it. I don't know what the official name for it is, slide to type. But the idea is that you can keep your hand on the virtual keyboard and actually use the built-in uh, predictive feature within iOS to help you type. And you, you slide your finger along the keyboard and iOS guesses what word you want to type. And when it guesses correctly, you let up your finger and it will enter that word for you. And it may sound like that's not a speed improvement, but it really is. I find it works for me personally better on an iPad keyboard where you have more uh, space, more room to roam, so to speak. And you can, it's a more natural motion than on a small iPhone keyboard. And I guess my tip for it is, and this is for both voiceover users and non-voiceover users, but especially if you're using voiceover, my tip is practice makes perfect and be very patient. One of the things I do in the book generally is when I come up against something that I know is not necessarily really hard to do, but that will take a lot of practice, is I try to give the reader encouragement. I try to say, look, I know this is hard. It was hard for me the first time I did it, but keep going. Right. I think any of these new features do take practice. And I've noticed, particularly with this new keyboard feature that it does. In fact, Nancy, I think you've noticed that also as a sighted person, that it's a little bit tricky until you've had some practice with it. Oh, absolutely. Say I, I talk kind of fast and sometimes I type kind of fast too. And I will do something like a social media post, a Twitter post or something like that. And I will find that that's the case and that I think my Twitter post is perfectly fine. And I go to send it and I look and I say, hey, that's not really the word I intended. And I have to go back. And the two solutions to that are, as you say, patience or going into settings and turning off some of the autocorrect features if you don't want to use them. Some people find them infuriating and, you know, they, they don't feel like autocorrect always gets them. 
uh, and other people find them a lifesaver because they make it so fast for to, to, to type. And I think if you're going to use something like the, the quick path or, or direct touch typing methods, if you're voiceover user, you're going to have to be using autocorrect because that's the secret sauce that makes those functions work. Well, and I think it's nice to have a variety of options. Some particular way of doing things may be better for one task than another. For example, if I'm just sending a quick text message out to somebody, if I use dictation and a word or two is wrong, that's not so bad as long as the meaning is clear. But if I'm sending out an email to somebody and I want to write something very specific, I may use my Bluetooth keyboard to do that because I can type very precisely. So we do have choices. Sure. So my boss and I will exchange emails periodically uh, when we're not at work. And so she'll write me an email from her phone and her email signature includes sent via mobile, ignore typos. (laughs) (laughs) She's reducing your expectations right there. (laughs) I've seen that from more than one person. That's a good caveat. Right. My theory on autocorrection is it may get the word wrong, but at least it spells it correctly. (laughs) So I don't look stupid, I may look like I have missed fixing one of the autocorrection words, and and that's a situation I prefer. Well, we certainly covered a whole lot there, and there's much more in the book. So if you're either a new user of iOS devices or an experienced user, you might be interested in checking out this book. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Shelley Brisbane's new book, this year's version of iOS Access for All, how to get the book and how to contact her directly. So if people are interested in acquiring your book, where would you send them? So my website is iosaccessbook.com. And you can not only buy the book in several different formats, but you can also download a sample chapter. It happens to be the Siri and Shortcuts chapter, so there's a lot of great information in there for absolutely free. And you can read a full table of contents. And then there are some blog posts where I describe the book. I talk about a lot of the things that we've discussed here about how the book is organized. And if, if you want to buy the book, if you decide it's interesting to you, you have several choices. You can buy the book in the EPUB format. Uh, you can also buy a PDF version, also accessible. Or you can buy, this is a new thing I've created this year because there was a lot of demand for it, which surprised me a little bit, was some people wanted both versions of the book. So for a little bit more money, I will let you have a zip file that includes both the EPUB and the PDF version. And then finally, if you prefer to buy from the Apple Bookstore directly, there's a link from my website or you can search on Apple Books. And you mentioned a podcast. What is your podcast about and where can people find that? My podcast is called Parallel. It's at relay.fm slash parallel. What I do is interview people about technology topics. I usually bring on a person from the mainstream technology world as well as somebody with a background in accessibility. And we talk about tech in general, but then we discuss accessibility specifically. So for example, if I were doing a review of the Consumer Electronics Show or the new version of iOS, we'd have a general conversation about that. But then my guest with familiarity with accessibility and I, as well as our mainstream guests, could chat a little bit about what the accessibility implications are. So that's the genesis of the name Parallel. It's part of the Relay FM network. And you may know that network if you listen to tech podcasts, because there are a lot of uh, great tech shows there. And if somebody has a question for you, how would they reach you? 
I am on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. The book also has its own Twitter, and you can go there for announcements and just information about updates. Sometimes I put the book on sale for a little while, and that Twitter is at iOS Access Book. And as usual, you'll find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2008. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Android accessibility. A lot has changed over the years in the Android world, especially in terms of accessibility features that are available for the visually impaired and how well these features perform. We'll speak with Anna Garza, who gives an update on the accessibility of Android devices and why you might consider using them. Hope to catch you all next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.